Welcome to the Equipping You podcast, where our mission is to equip Alliance pastors and leaders to live spiritually healthy lives and lead healthy churches. Equipping You is a ministry of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. For more information on this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org. Hey, 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 welcome back to Equipping You podcast. This is season four, episode three, and we're coming to you today, mostly. Alan is uh, in Pennsylvania, but mostly we're coming to you from Colorado Springs in the state of Colorado, which is the highest state in the United States. <laughs> now, I know exactly what you're thinking. Get your minds out of the gutter. I am talking about average altitude or elevation. That's exactly is, why I'm laughing, Terry. Yes, it is 6,800 feet, average altitude in the state of Colorado. My wife and I live in a home at 6,920 feet, so we are well above average. I'm so Terry. Really high. Is that what you're saying? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Terry and uh, I'm the church ministries leader for the Alliance. I think I still am. I'm sure you are. I'm Alan. I'm the director of multiplication in Eastern PA. Love what I do. And I do live at a much lower altitude, though I can't say I'm sure what that is at the moment. Well, altitude is less important in other places. Most places list population on signs uh, when you're coming into a town in Colorado, they list elevation. So uh, uh, that's an important little tidbit. Caitlin Guyberson is also with us. Caitlin, the laugh track. She laughs at almost all of my jokes. If she doesn't laugh at it, I know it was really, really bad. (laughs) That's the truth. Caitlin's our producer. And uh, today we are very pleased to welcome to uh, Equipping You Podcast, Katie Cole. Katie Cole is the author of the book, Developing Female Leaders. Uh, I would encourage you to put that on your uh, read list. I read it, and it's very, uh, very, very helpful. doesn't matter what your polity position is. It's just a helpful book, and, and she really is balanced on that issue. Alan and I were at Exponential with 150 Alliance people and 5,000 others, in uh, March, just before COVID hit, when 5,000 people could still be in the same room. And uh, Katie was one of the main stage uh, speakers at uh, Exponential. And so she's uh, widely known, works on staff at Family Church in uh, South Florida. So uh, looking forward to that conversation uh, today. So grab yourself a Sonic Real Fruit Strawberry Slushy. And uh, enjoy that as you cool off while we talk to Katie. Sit back, relax. Here we go. Hey, Equipping You friends, it's Caitlin here. And I want to tell you about something super special that we have launched here at Equipping You that's just for you. And we think you're really going to love it. If you're an avid Equipping You listener, an Equipping You live attender, or both, you need to join our Facebook group called Equipping You Community. We love that on the podcast and at Equipping You Live, we get to empower you in your ministries. But we believe that for you to really see the true transformation of your leadership that you want, applying what you learn in community is key. So pause this episode right now and head over to facebook.com slash groups 
slash equipping you community. Or you can go to equippingyou.com and scroll all the way to the bottom and click on equipping you community. We can't wait to see you there. And we're very pleased to welcome to Equipping You podcast today, Katie Cole. Oh, Katie, thanks for taking the time to be with us today. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you all so much. It's really an honor to be here with you. So uh, let's start with getting to know you a little bit. Uh, If you could tell us the uh, nutshell version of your story, how you came to faith in Jesus, how you got involved in ministry and leadership in the church, we'd love to hear it. Well, thanks so much. Uh, I grew up in the mountains of Montana in a tiny little mission church of about 100 people, which doesn't sound very fancy, but uh, it was such an incredible place to grow up where uh, there was a lot of very Bible-centered teaching, a lot of really strong, mature believers around me uh, that really just spoke God's word and spoke, um, I think, impact over my life. And so that shaped my understanding of who Christ is, what it means to follow him, and what it means to serve him. Uh, Incidentally, no one at our church got paid, including the senior pastor. So I really grew up just thinking when you became a Christian, you just sort of gave all your money and spare time to ministry, and that's how it worked. Uh, Which I think that's still a good model. If we could go back to that, it could probably solve a lot of problems. Uh, So (laughs) that's kind of always been my mentality. When I went to college, I ended up going to a Lutheran school. I had no idea there were things like denominations or people could get a job in ministry. So that was quite awakening for me on just all all the levels and layers. And it was a beautiful time for me to understand sort of different expressions of people's faith. Um, And then I ended up with a job in South Florida. I'm a nurse by training, a registered nurse. Got my first job at a VA hospital here in South Florida, where I still live now, 20 plus years later, and uh, got a part of really large churches that were more um, like of the seeker movement, if that ages me. You know, they had things like good music on the weekend. You might want to bring your friend to church. It was a whole new concept for me because we sort of let anyone sing who wanted to, and we sort of like (laughs) grew in our uh, persevering Holy Spirit strength to survive it. Uh, So understanding that ministry could actually be helpful in people's discipleship, that I had a role in my church, that they wanted to partner with me to lead people to faith and disciple them. That was just all new territory for me. And they and that those few first few churches in Florida really gave me platform to realize I had something to offer um, and something of real spiritual significance and leadership. And so um, professionally, I was still in nursing. I ended up getting recruited from a woman in my church, actually who worked at a Christian university. So I was a dean of student development for several years, picked up a master's degree in HRD, and uh, eventually got recruited by my church when we were in a fast growth space, Christ Fellowship. Uh, we had um, we were about 3,000 people when mega churches were really hitting the scene and multi-site was just not even an idea yet. I came on staff and helped them sort of scale and grow growth from about 3,000 to about 23,000. And my last role on the team was executive director over multi-site, overseeing the nine camps. I also started our school of leadership, uh, working on our developmental pipelines. That's sort of my master's degree work. And really just have always loved serving my church in whatever capacity. I've been on staff. I've been off staff. I've been part-time. I've been no time. Uh, but my heart for ministry and leadership is has always been the constant. So um, that's sort of what brings me to this point. Um, I got to write this book, and that's been a wonderful new experience. I consult with a lot of churches now on their growth strategies and their developmental strategies. Um, and then I I get to hang out with great people like you and have fun conversations. Well, we're, we're thankful you're doing that. I, I took out of that, uh, Alan, that I could sing in Katie's church when she grew, <laughs> where she grew up. And I've been looking for churches that would let me sing for years. You know how well I sing, Alan. 
If it's in Montana, then I bless you because that's far from me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Katie, man, I love your passion, man. I absolutely. It's, it's obviously something that overflows from within you, and um, that I can see why you know people would want to be influenced by your leadership because you have a love that just flows from you. Um, and we do want to unpack some of the stuff from your book, but before I do that, I'd, we'd really like to hear about some specific people that maybe God used to stir up your gifts and calling as a leader? Mm, Great question. Yeah, I think uh, my pastor growing up was really affirming. He was a youth pastor is how he ended up starting the church and he ran youth groups all across Western Montana. So he was a master of taking a young teenager and just helping them have a place in the church, know that they were valued in God's kingdom, know that they had something to offer. That was probably one of my biggest influences. I never felt like I didn't belong or that I needed to be sort of on the side. I got to be front and center, even when I didn't have anything to offer, know what I was doing. It was more the perception of how he viewed me informed my view of myself and informed what I believe God viewed of me. And so that changed a lot. Uh, In my early 20s, when I moved to Florida, I mentioned those uh, couple of churches I was a part of. There were some um, particularly female leaders because I grew up in environments that didn't have any women leading in any formalized roles. There were a couple really strong women who saw leadership potential in me. I just thought I was a hard worker. They saw something more and gave me actual platform to uh, have influence or to speak or to lead others. And um, and that was a, a weightier view than I think I had had. Um, but at the same time, both of them really cared deeply about my own spiritual walk. And was I being spiritually fruitful in my walk as a disciple more than could I, you know, give a good devotional to the small group thing that was about to start. They were really concerned for me actually multiplying my faith. And I'm so grateful for that because I see a lot of particularly young leaders have talent or charisma or be able to communicate and they get platforms way bigger than their spiritual muscles can handle. And Mm. they're talking about things in theory that they haven't actually witnessed or experienced themselves. And that's just a recipe for disaster. And so I'm really grateful for those folks who sort of knew how to grow someone up from the inside out spiritually, not just from the impressive outside um, in. Wow. That is something to be grateful for. Yeah. Amen. So I've enjoyed reading your book uh, entitled Developing Female Leaders, Katie. And uh, in that book, you talk about sticky floors that limit women and their leadership in the church. Can you define what you mean by that? phrase sticky floors and and give us an idea of what some of those sticky floors might be. Sure. Uh, So the impetus for this book for me was I was consulting with a a series of churches that were stuck on their leadership development pipelines. And they had roles that they were open for women to take and they were trying to recruit them. But these women were either turning them down or um, they weren't uh, even applying for the jobs and they were sort of stuck in their efforts to develop women. And uh, I wanted to help them. So I started doing sort of research on this topic. And this idea of sticky floor was a really constant theme. You probably heard of glass ceilings um, organizationally, right? Where uh, women 
women or other minorities can't sort of break through into upper levels of leadership. Sticky floor are the things that happen within a woman's own mind that prevent her from growing in leadership or walking into opportunities that God or her leaders might give to them. And I find this is incredibly prevalent in the church particularly. I think it's hard sometimes for the guys to understand because most men, when you've grown up in church, have a lot of great male examples, um, have a lot of men speaking life into you. I'm a rare woman who had a senior pastor affirm not he didn't ever call it leadership, but he affirmed gifting in me and affirmed a call in my life in the kingdom. That's very rare for a woman to have in church growing up. And when you don't grow up with those things, it's easy in your mind to sort of wonder if you really belong, wonder if God actually gifted you with anything other than like baking casseroles and changing diapers in the back of the church. And if you don't see any other women or other people like you doing leadership, those messages, and really they're tools of Satan, they're lies that aren't true, but unless you've seen some other truth, we carry them with us. So one of the research pieces I talk about in the book is a study that was done on how men and women apply for jobs. When a guy applies for a new job or a volunteer role at a church, he looks at the job description and if he feels confident of 60% of what's on the job description, he applies for it he figures he'll get it. You know, if he doesn't know what he's doing, he'll like call his dad or Google it or fake it till he makes it. And, you know, most (laughs) guys apply for things and they're like, I'm going to crush this. You know, women, on the other hand, when they apply for a role, again, even a volunteer role, like being a greeter, (laughs) they're looking at the job description. And unless they feel confident of a hundred percent of what's on the job description from day one, they won't even apply for the opportunity. They won't put their name in their hat because they're, they have such high expectations of themselves. And they're so fearful of disappointing their leaders, um, being called out as an imposter or a fake, not measuring up. But more importantly, when it comes to church work, disappointing God, that they would rather risk not doing it than take a risk and fail. And that sticky floor holds women back all the time. And it's an enigma to most men who see women and they sort of believe our excuses. I'll just let you on the inside. Like we would never say, I feel so insecure. I don't want to apply for this job because I might fail. What we say is, oh, I have so much on my plate or the kids are still young or it's not a good season. And the great guys who are leading us go, I would never pressure her right? I'm going to totally take this opportunity away. And I don't want her to feel bad because I want her to be the mom or the wife or the daughter that I want her to be or that she wants to be. And so we have this chasm between what these great godly men are trying to do for women and what women long to do for the kingdom, but there's this missing gap. And that's really what the sticky floor um, means. That's part of why I wrote the book is to try to close that gap. Wow. I love that. I'm, I'm thinking of these of women in my life, right? And my head is spinning of thinking, wow, what, how have I missed sticky floors in the women around me? And my goodness, this is helpful uh, to unpack that. And that leads really to the next idea of how, you know, for a, a female leader, the one word you use to describe what it's like for them is confusing. And I think that would be safe to say that it, that's kind of been part of the journey. Caitlin can sp- speak into this. She wants a, a part of the journey in the Alliance for sure. So what, what needs to be done to clear up that confusion, regardless of you know where a denomination comes down on the side of complementarian or egalitarian? Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the big premises for me in the book and a piece that was really important for me is to not make this a theological debate, partly because I've been really blessed to be in some amazing churches uh, all throughout my life who had very different theologies about 
uh, women leading. Some were incredibly conservative where there were very few roles for women to lead. Some were much more progressive. I was even on staff at a church that moved from one side of the theological spectrum to the other. And I have had incredible experiences and had wonderful leaders pour into me and had real fruitful seasons in all of those environments. In fact, when I did the research for the book, we uh, surveyed 1,200 women who were serving in church leadership, interviewed 30 high-level female leaders who had sort of broken through the glass ceiling. Uh, In the church world, we call it the stained glass ceiling. Um, You know, uh, executive pastors and senior pastors trying to get an understanding of this. And one of the things we found is that it had almost nothing to do with the theological makeup of the church. It had nothing to do with the mission or the values or the style of ministry. It had very little to do with the context or where they were in uh, the, the country or in the world, actually. What it had everything to do with was the personal leadership practices of the leadership team at the church, the personal practices of the leaders at the church. That's what dictated it. We had incredibly conservative, um, you might call them complementarian churches that had women at all levels of leadership up to the executive team. And we had very progressive or egalitarian churches where there were almost no women in any formalized leadership role. And so part of this is really making sure that we're looking at what the real issues are. And that's the culture. What are the practices? What are the experiences? What are the hidden or silent messages we're sending women and men about women that are communicating far more than our theology is? One of the most important pieces, though, is to actually clarify our theology. So most of us who have grown up in church, and this is, I would say, not as prevalent with young women, maybe women in their early 20s, because there's been a lot more... focus on developing young girls in schools for leadership, but definitely women in their mid-30s and older. Most of us grew up in contexts in our communities and our families, and especially in our churches, where even if women were welcome to lead at multiple levels, we rarely saw one. And when churches tried to talk about the theology about women in leadership, most churches are very, very loud and clear on what women are not allowed to do but very soft and quiet about what women are invited to do. Well, when you grow up in that environment and you mostly hear what women can't do and that the main role of a woman is to submit to men in marriage or church, which I can totally agree with, what happens is if all I hear are the no's and the submit part, it's really easy over spending 30 years in a church to grow up thinking everything's a no and that I should submit to every man. I interviewed a woman who ran the uh, first impressions team at her church, and she talked about the conflict in her when a man joined the first impressions team. So this is like greeters and ushers, very non-spiritual authority roles, right? These are highly functional roles. She had a really hard time Uh, praying for her team out loud when there were men on the team. And it was a real barrier for her. And we had this whole conversation. I know her senior pastor and I had a conversation with him and I said, are you under the expectation that she would need to defer to a man in the room to pray uh, at this team meeting over a team you've given her authority over? And he's like, absolutely not. But in her mind, she thought a man, even if he was a brand new believer or brand new to the church, should have more authority than her. No one told her that. That's not written down anywhere. Her senior pastor's actually aghast that she would think that. But because she grew up in this culture that was more about the no and more about the submission rather than the authority she carries as a believer and the yeses she's invited to lead and what spiritual leadership actually means and looks like in the church, she had no input on that. 
she was stuck in these mindsets that were keeping her from leading. So those are the kinds of things that the, that churches can really take a look at is not so much that people are, I, I have not, I've met, not met any pastors who are these horrible, oppressive men who are trying to keep women in their place. Like, first of all, those guys really don't like to talk to me. So I haven't had any great conversations with them. <laughs> um, but I've met a lot of really good hearted, godly, amazing male pastors who just aren't aware because their experience is so different. They just aren't aware that some of the practices going down under their leadership are sending messages that are the actual opposite of what they're trying to say. And so that's what the book is, is really the revelation of those that research project that says, hey, here are the biggest missteps that we see in most churches. Take a look at it. Pop the hood of your church. Are you falling into the trap of any of these things, either from cultures you're a part of in the community that are saying things about women that you don't agree with? Your theology says one thing, but you haven't been clear enough on it. Or perhaps there's some practices and systems and languages you've inherited from the leaders who came before you that are communicating something that you're not even aware of, that if you just do a few tweaks, you can really make a significant difference, not only for the women in your church, but for your leadership culture and your leadership powerhouse to actually fulfill the mission that God has given you. Katie, I I love that. Yeah. I, uh, from the, just the perspective, I'm you know sitting in my head and I'm I'm like yeah 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 all of that registers with me. I'm like you were saying with you know age and like you know being younger. I'm 27, and um, I spent the first six years of my 20s in student ministry, and um, I had a lot of my girls that were you know I was a you know youth director underneath of a youth pastor, but even the senior pastor would say, like when he would introduce me to people, oh, well, this is our other youth pastor, Caitlin. And, um, you know, our students loved, you know, talking to me about these things. And I had young girls that were like, I didn't even know, you know, women could do this in church. I had um, students that were, you know, first generation Americans from a, you know, conservative Hungarian background. So that wasn't a thing in, in their context. And they would, you know, I was pretty set in what I was allowed to do until they would ask me, so Caitlin, what can, you know, women do in the church? And I, and I had to kind of sit and think and I'm like, oh, I don't know how to answer that. Like, I know what I'm allowed to do, but my experience is so different from others. Um, so that confusion, even though I kind of my personality, I'm okay with questioning and asking to find those things out. I know many women aren't, but even though I was, I still was like, oh, I'm not sure here. Um, so I could totally see for so many women that, that I've talked to and young girls that are looking to try to figure these things out and navigate that any small amounts of things we can do uh, to get rid of that confusion or clarify, I think are huge. Right. And clarifying theology is actually one of the most important things that we can do because really it is based in that. Even though it wasn't the the primary reason why women were or were not in leadership, it's still an important place to start because most godly women who have been walking with the Lord a long time, who love your church, who have good leadership, mature, especially spiritual leadership or spiritual giftings in leadership that you want to utilize, most of us know there is a theological line somewhere. 
And if you aren't clear on where it is, we will make the assumption it's much less than what you have for us uh, because we don't want to step over it. For women, you know, if men, the cardinal sin is like pornography or an affair, for women, the cardinal sin is overstepping the line of leadership, right? That's the thing none of us ever want to do or fall into. And so we will lead way below what we think, where we think the line is because we know anytime we get too close to it or God forbid we overstep it, that's the end of our influence and the end of our trust not only among you, but among other women in the church. And so we will lead way below that. Now, I'm not saying you need to do a big six-week you know, sermon series on what women can and can't do in the church. That's not the way to actually address this. But if, you, if it's unclear in your church, if your leaders don't know, if most of the women who are trying to lead aren't clear, if you can just bring some information and some areas, again, not super loud on the no's, but super loud on the yeses, it will be amazing what you will understand leash in women in your church. Very helpful, Katie. And and so clearing up confusion is a big piece uh, of what needs to happen in, in churches. What are some other key things that a church, a ministry, a, a male leader can do in order to uh, recruit and develop female leaders? Yeah, I think one of the key things is to, um, you know, keeping the sticky floor in mind is to realize you may have to recruit women leaders a little differently than you've had to recruit guy leaders. So if um, you have a job or even a female candidate that you're like, she would be so great in this uh, role, how do I recruit her? You, ha- you need to have a different conversation. Um, it might be that you sit down with the job description with her and say, here's what I see in you. You're already good at this. Uh, by the way, we will train you. you we're going to give you six months to shadow someone before you know we're going to hold you accountable to anything. Just overcoming the sticky floor on her behalf because of what you see in her and the potential that she has. That conversation will mean more to her than you can probably ever imagine. And she will go into that role with so much more confidence and freedom to really contribute to your church in the way God has gifted her. Uh, another area would be to look at how you recruit people into ministry roles in general. One of the most underutilized systems is the spiritual gifts that God God gives us in uh, Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. If you look at that, there are some clear giftings and really great churches orient their volunteer and leadership roles around those giftings. And if you can help all your members know what their top spiritual gifts are and what roles in the church that matches them to, it helps melt away the gender biases that most women come into ministry with. So if they identify that they have a gift of shepherding or they identify they have a gift of teaching or of leadership or of mercy or of prayer, they know that they belong on the real team. They don't belong on the women's version of that team, which is what most of us can easily assume unless you help us know we have a real place in the church. Uh, The other piece is as male leaders, uh, particularly for the women you see with great leadership potential. And I should just clarify, I'm not a fan or an advocate of every woman being in leadership, just like I am not an advocate for every man to be in leadership. So I'm not talking about the woman who's like late to church and her kids haven't been fed breakfast and her car breaks down all the time. I'm not talking about that woman who like can't organize herself out of a paper bag. I'm talking about the women who are leaders, the women who have it together. They're like running schools and building businesses and organizing the PTA and have their act together. These are the people you want in leadership and mature women, not someone who just came to Christ who's full of energy and can articulate things well on stage and looks good in front of a camera. I'm talking about godly, mature women with mature giftings who are ready to be released into the kingdom. These women, knowing um, how to support them, knowing that they need 
feedback. One of the pieces um, in our research discovered that women oftentimes get what's called very vague praise. So if you have a woman get up on the platform, for example, on the weekend and she gives the announcements, when she's done, you might say, great job, you know, Sarah. And other people are like, you look so cute up there. And that was really fun to have a girl up there. And okay, that's really helpful. But when a guy gets up and gives the announcement, like a young, maybe seminary grad who's interning at your church, he gets down and you say, okay, next time you need to go less than 11 minutes on the announcements. We only slotted you four, (laughs) right? You want to always connect your announcement back to vision instead of rambling about every story you had growing up in seventh grade. Uh, We want to make sure you actually tuck your shirt in because the t-shirt and the hoodie doesn't fly on the weekend, right? You give them constructive feedback and then almost always it ends with, now the next time you do this, please keep da-da-da-da-da in mind, right? Here's what went great. Here's what didn't go great. And the next time, right, you haven't failed so miserably that you're off the platform. It's developmental. That's so different than when someone says, hey, you looked real cute up there. Good job, right? She's thinking that was probably the last time I'll ever do that. Or I guess I wasn't good enough or I know I'm not perfect at this the first time. Unless you take the time to actually develop leaders, leaders know when you care. They know when you're paying attention. They know when you believe there's more in them than they are currently performing. And real leaders want feedback. Real leaders want to grow. Real leaders want to be at their best. If you have a female that can't handle criticism, you probably don't have a leader, or you have someone who's really actually needs to be recentered in her identity in Christ. Now, feedback is never fun, right? But women can take it if they're a leader, just like a guy can take it. Go soft on the people who can't take it, but give it to the leaders because they long for it. Wow, great stuff. I feel like I'm, I'm going to have to like, you know, listen to this like three times later and then read the book and then listen to it again and then like make an outline and steps to do. So this is really, really practical and helpful. Very grateful. Can't wait for our pastors and church leaders to listen to it. One of the intriguing concepts that might be counterintuitive for our listeners is, is in your book, you talk about the need for female leaders, for male mentors, male sponsors, and female coaches. Can you unpack that for our listeners? Sure. One of the challenges for developing women is that many of us have a mindset, which is from scripture, from a spiritual discipleship standpoint, that men disciple men and women disciple women. And I, obviously, I believe that. It's in God's word. It's incredibly effective. Um, The challenge is, well, there's two challenges. The first one is a side note that I just feel responsible to say, that in an LGBTQ world, men traveling and discipling only men one-on-one is no longer above reproach. And so that system that we've created based on that scripture doesn't actually provide the protection or the effectiveness that we that it used to in the 1940s. And so um, realizing that we have to rethink how we apply that in our today's day and age and culture um, is an important piece in general. Secondly, what happens with that is that if the majority of your leadership roles, which if you're like 90% of the churches in America, almost all of your formalized leadership roles are held by men. If, you, if men only develop men, that means they're only handing off leadership to other men, and there's not a way for a woman to break through. The only women, in fact, the women who I interviewed who had sort of broken through that glass ceiling, every single one of them had had some sort of leadership and professional development happen outside the church by some other organization that then they were able to bring back into their higher level leadership within ministry. 
the ministry itself did not have the pipeline developed to actually grow them into their full leadership potential. So that's where the breakdown happens. And so what, in order to shift this, what we really need is not for women to start Uh, developing more women. What we need is for the leaders, the people in leadership. If it's a woman, great, but chances are it's the guys. What we need is for the guys to expand their repertoire and look for the people with leadership skills. I will tell you as a woman with some leadership gifting sitting in my church, when I see all the full-time paid pastoral staff take out to lunch the guys who are mediocre leaders, and I can't even get a meeting or some feedback or any sort of developmental content, and they're spending all their time pouring into these guys who are going to only make it to a four of a five at their best, it is incredibly disheartening. But you shift a little of that attention to just bring in, again, the top level female leaders. You don't have to spend all your time uh, with every woman, but the ones who have potential, spend some time developing them. So the three things I talk about is mentoring. This is not spiritual discipleship mentoring. This is leadership mentoring. Mentoring is a more personal relationship. It involves a lot more conversation. It allows a leader, a young leader, to understand the unspokens, the things that can only be caught, not necessarily taught. This is where I would sit in Pastor Doug's office, who was our executive director of ministry, and be like, I was in this meeting and I was talking about this and I was explaining this and this person said this, where did that come from? And he goes, oh, what you don't realize is three years ago, that person's wife, da, 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 and over here and this and that, and the budget works this way and the timeline works this way. And I'm like, oh, that makes so much more sense. I can't learn that from a seminary class. I can't read about that in the employee handbook. That's stuff that only a mentor can help me. And if you don't have someone sort of showing you the unwritten rules, it's really hard to grow in leadership in a way that has emotional intelligence and builds trust with your teammates, which are two essential qualities to really succeeding in ministry. A uh, sponsor, if a mentor talks with you, a sponsor talks about you. So this is things that most pastors do really naturally with the young men on their team because they see themselves in these young men. They're probably taking them out to lunch. They're including them in special projects. Let's be honest, it's probably the son of their college roommate that's on staff, so they have this personal affinity to them, right? They're sponsoring them. So when they're in an executive level meeting and you're talking about launching the next campus, they've got, you know, Joey in the back of their mind and they're thinking he could be the student guy. He also plays guitar. Maybe he could be the worship guy, but he's a business major. Maybe he could be the operations guy. He's thinking about Joey and throwing his name in the hat. He's talking about Joey in a room Joey will never be in. Most women are not on the radar of the leaders of their team being sponsored in leadership conversations. So Katie never gets a chance to be nominated for the new campus team. Katie's not on anybody's mind when they're talking about where do we want to put our educational funds to send to advanced schooling this year. Katie's not on anybody's mind when we have an open spot for the conference and we're wondering who else we should take. So part of what male leaders can do is start looking at all their staff all the potential people and discipline yourself to have equity in who's on your mental list. Who are you sponsoring? Who are you advocating for? Who are you nominating? It may take five times to get Katie on a team somewhere, but Katie deserves to be on a project for six weeks going above and beyond to learn and to network and to experience and to grow just like every other Joey deserves to be that. You just want to make sure you're not accidentally leaving the women off because they're not on your radar from a more relational affinity standpoint. 
So that's mentoring, that's sponsoring. Those are two things that men really can step up. I, I like to say that you guys hold the keys to the leadership kingdom. You can unlock doors for women. We cannot unlock door for ourselves. And this is not a new skill, by the way. You all have been doing this for decades, really fruitfully. I just want to challenge you to expand it so that you're including women and other minorities, racial minorities, age minorities, physical ability minorities, just make sure you're being expansive and including everyone in your congregation, not just the people you see yourself in. And then the last part is coaches. And by the way, every leader, male or female, whatever your age needs, mentors, sponsors, and coaches. Usually this all comes packaged in one great guy boss. Uh, Coaches are the one area that I think women need other women. Almost all leadership is non-gender. It's skill set, it's giftedness, it's maturity. But there is about 10 to 15% that is uniquely female. There are things that I'm going to navigate as a wife, as a mom, as a daughter caregiving for my parents that you guys are probably going to have some insight for, but aren't really going to get in the same way that a woman who's gone before me has gone. Um, Right now, most of our churches don't have great women coaches. And I use the word coach because it really needs to be someone who knows what they're talking about. It can't be the good-natured women older woman in your church who's been a faithful prayer warrior who feels called to develop women. I know so many women who have that calling who have not led anything in their entire life. That's not who I'm talking about. I'm talking about the women probably outside your church and maybe even in other networks who have led at the executive level, who have managed big ministries, who have grown up in ministry and know the ranks of leadership, not a pastor's wife who got overpromoted and didn't have to do the hard time. I'm talking about women who have been through the fire and been refined and are still faithful and fruitful. Those are the coaches that women need because they need to see the potential of who they can become and they need someone seasoned to be able to give them practical advice that's really realistic and actually helps their life be better. Good stuff, Katie. I appreciate you differentiating those things. Yeah. So, uh, well, we're sorry you've had negative experiences along the way as a female leader. We're confident that you probably have. And by sharing those, you might be able to help male leaders avoid some pitfalls and uh, perhaps it'll be a little bit of balm for uh, uh, female leaders who have experienced uh, some of the same thing. So quick story or two about experience you've had or experience some female has had that would really help us say, oh, we need to do that differently. Sure. Well, there are a lot of stories. I do just have to say I've had wonderful leaders and wonderful experiences. And so even when I share some of my negative stories, it's far outweighed by great experiences, but they are important to learn from. So I'll just tell my uh, some of my own stories. And I was hired in my first job really one of the first female leaders to be operating. Um, I worked directly for the executive pastor and senior pastor. I was in some of the executive meetings. Um, I replaced a man who had my role before, but they still weren't quite sure what to call me. So I was the special assistant, which there's nothing more confusing than a girl title to really set you up to have authority and lead with what you've been called to do. You know, I navigated that. It was fine. I found out later when I made my first hire, I was handing over the first impressions ministry to a man uh, who had worked for me as a volunteer for quite a while. He was a wonderful leader, much older than me. And when he got hired, he had twice the benefits that I did. He got higher percentage of his retirement matched. He got full insurance benefits for his entire spouse and family. I got insurance benefits just for myself. And he came to me and said, I'm so excited about these benefits. Thank you so much for being so generous. And I'm thinking, that was really generous of us. I should 
figure out about that. So we went and talked to them and, you know, my leaders were great, but we were a part of a system that um, if you were a man and worked full time, you were called a pastor and pastors got pastoral benefits. By the way, he also got a huge tax deduction that I knew nothing about when I negotiated my uh, salary coming in from the university system. And so my leaders were wonderful. I raised it to them. They corrected all of those things. They were very apologetic. So it wasn't a known discrimination against me. But I do know many women who find out these things about their uh, salary or benefits and maybe don't have the confidence I did or don't have the approachable leaders that I had in order to be able to raise the issue. Even then, some of the uh, ways that I think congregations view women different unless there's clarity around titles. It's really easy to question when a woman is leading, even if she's been given the authority and the responsibility, unless she has a title that clarifies and creates a pathway for her, it can be very confusing. And at the same time, I see titles given to men to sort of help them feel better or give them more authority than maybe they really should have. It's a wonderful gift to give that guy. I don't want those things to go away. I just would also like to see that happen for more women, if we're holding them responsible to certain goals, we have to also give them the authority to reach those goals. One other piece in those early uh, ministry years, again, my leaders were great about it, but there was um, a partnership that they forged with a university to come give seminary classes on campus during work time. And each uh, student who was a staff member got to pay just $100 for each class. So I had probably 15 of my counterparts who were all male get involved invited into this special opportunity for seminary that I just simply wasn't on anyone's radar to be invited into. I would have loved at 28 years old to have been able to go to seminary for, you know, $1,500 over the course of 18 months, but I just wasn't on anyone's radar. And I know they weren't purposefully leaving me out, but it was a hurtful experience to think that I was leading most of these men and holding them accountable to their goals, but not allowed to receive this kind of educational benefit that really changed a lot of the trajectory of my leadership and effectiveness and doors opening for me in ministry. And so those are just some of the examples that, again, no one intended those things, but I also didn't know to demand those things. And so as you start looking at some of these pieces, I would say to the guys, spend a little extra time and care looking into the details of the systems that you trust that you normally don't have to get into the weeds to. Please don't make assumptions that someone has has audited that or looked at that or challenged that. And for women, I want to really encourage you to ask questions of your your peers. Ask people, you know, I know it's taboo to ask what you're making, but there are major salary discrepancies between men and women. And even if your church won't pay you more, at least you know, and they'll tell you why, and you can decide if you're supposed to stay there or not. But ask questions, find out what people's benefits are. I wish I had, instead of questioning my ability to manage my budget when I was 30 years old, I wish I had asked, hey, why do you, how can you afford a vacation for two weeks to Disney with all your kids? Like I'm schlepping it in my mom's basement. Basement, and I have to use points to get there, right? I'm like, and I'm thinking I must not be managing my budget correctly, or you know, I'm just trying to add it up, and it's not adding up. But I didn't realize that the rich 
donors of the church give free vacations to their pastors all the time. Well, a lot of people could have had the opportunity to help all of us as staff members receive the benefits of church, right? And I'm not saying that I missed out on it. I'm just saying it, it would be, I should have asked because I have a feeling if I had have just asked the question, my friend, uh, Sean would have gone to that guy and said, Hey, have you ever thought of giving a gift like this to Katie? He would have done that for me, but neither one of us knew there was something uh, unfair or unequal going on. Wow. Woo. A whole bucket load of stuff to follow up on. And we really appreciate you being with us. And this is, you know, really timely for us in the Alliance. Um, yes, we are much. trying to get really clear. So it's not confusing. You know, I think it'll be helpful for our pastors to think through sticky floors and to see how, to me, the thing that jumped out for me personally beyond that was just the idea of being a sponsor. You know, who do I, I mean, I, I thought I actually am a sponsor for lots of people, but am I a sponsor for enough women? Katie, thanks so much for being with us today and uh, sharing your heart. Very, very helpful. Very encouraging, I'm sure, to our female leaders and and uh, also hopefully to our male leaders. And uh, so your voice is an important voice across the evangelical world and uh, an important voice across the alliance. We thank you for blessing us today with uh, your time and great input. Well, thank you so much. And I just want to encourage you and your listeners, like uh, many of us, we didn't create these issues that we're leading, but it is our responsibility. And I just want to celebrate the fact that you guys are leaning into the minefield of this. You're wrestling through it. It's the right thing to do. So please keep going. It. We're all in it with you. And I would say, on behalf of most of the women who are following you, as long as you're wrestling with it and wanting to make it better, we're still in it with you. It's when people pretend it doesn't exist or aren't up for the hard conversations that we lose hope. So as long as you're in it, we're still hopeful and we're all still in it together. That's a great word of encouragement and we really appreciate it. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Great, great uh, input, Katie. Thanks so much. Thank you all. Hope we get to do it again sometime. Well, that was just outstanding. Uh, sure was. Articulating so many good uh, concepts about helping us raise up and develop female leaders in the church. Caitlin, what'd you take away from uh, what Katie had to share with us today? I, I love this conversation with Katie. I've read her book um, and to hear her articulate it as well um, is really meaningful. It's a lot of the points that she made were things that I've either experienced or I've heard from um, other women in the church. So especially talking about uh, sticky floors, I think that's, uh, man, it's that's the thing I see the most when it comes to just hindrances for women. And that makes me sad that it's themselves. So I think it it's great to hear this perspective and to educate this way. Indeed. So Alan, what should our listeners do if they really appreciated and benefited from this podcast? Well, I'm glad you asked, Terry. Yes, I'm glad. I'm glad you're glad I asked, Alan. <laughs> I'm glad that you're glad that I'm glad. Oh, my. We better okay, stop Okay, enough that. is enough. But let me just say that I think it's, uh, they should definitely know by now that they should be sharing these. And actually, with the conversations we have uh, in the Alliance Store right now, and, and Katie pointing out that we need to take away confusion and pursue clarity, that this is a great episode to listen to and to share with your friends, your pastor friends, church leaders, to make sure that we are giving women the best opportunities to lead uh, within the polity that God has called us to. So pass it around, share it. It's good. It's great. Ah, man, it was like a fire hose. So this is definitely 
listen to it a couple times, share it a couple times. Really good stuff. So uh, we really thank you for listening. We're grateful for those who listen uh, episode after episode and hope you're still benefiting from the podcast. Hey, if you ever have ideas of uh, topics or guests that you'd like us to uh, interview, shoot those our way. Meanwhile, uh, we look forward to seeing you on the next uh, episode of Equipping You Podcast. Until then, keep the faith. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Equipping You Podcast. If you liked this episode, please consider subscribing and rating our channel. We hope you will join us for our next episode. For more information on this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org.